Welcome to the ministry of Mercy Seek Ministries and Evangelist Pat and Karen Jackson. We believe that the message you are about to hear will mightily change your life. Open your heart, mind, and spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to move in you. We must declare it to the next generation. This morning, I'm going to give you a case for the church. I'm going to give you a case for what it means to be able to stand firm. Not only on that, but how many of you know we are at war with something called secular humanism? My goal over the next few weeks, and it may not be, quote, spiritual to a lot of people, or may not be along that deep spiritual sense, but actually I believe it is. There is a moment, and you may think, well, you're pretty intense uh, about this. I sure am. Because I've spent 20 years ministering to a generation Hundreds of youth camps, hundreds of youth conferences, youth conventions, gathering from a hundred kids to uh, 60,000 kids. Doesn't matter. And probably over the last few years, I've spoke to at least two million students and college students. I've spoke on many, many college campuses. But one of the areas that I have failed and I repented about it last week is preparing a generation to do war concerning beliefs. What do we believe? What is in their textbooks? I watched a thing, maybe you saw it yesterday for a few minutes on Fox yesterday. Uh, Tucker Carlson talked about how the textbooks are slowly removing facts of history to keep from offending people. Folks, you can say, you can, uh, General MacArthur made them take pictures of the Holocaust victims because they said someday people will say this never happened. How many of you know that has happened? In Britain, they have removed it, the Holocaust, because they don't want to offend Islam. Let me just say it very clearly clearly to you. Understand something. I'm going to get into something called humanism in just a moment. Where humanists do not believe in God. They do, most of them are atheists. Most of them believe what I talked about last week, the case. And by the way, if you did not get that message, either listen to it online or pick up the CD back there. And you can also pick up the argument. I'm going to give you over the next few weeks cases as if we were in court. But I wanted to bring these guys up here to help me this morning because they're the ones that are on the front lines. What I love is the fact that sitting at this desk is a future doctor who has had to stand his faith at Auburn, at UAB, and the argument of science. How many of you know for too long the church, because we've been ignorant, have acted like science doesn't exist, but science actually proves the existence of God? You still with me? But now follow me for a second as I get into this word because I want you to understand how did Paul do battles in the realms of philosophy? We talked about that last week. But look at Romans 12 verse 2. I love the message Bible. It was just on there a moment ago. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. I love that. It means don't be dumb. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Am I right? Look at Colossians 2.8. Paul goes deeper, and this is the amplified version. See to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captive by his so-called philosophy and intellectualism and vain deceit. Idle, fancies, plain nonsense. Following human tradition. That's man's ideas right there of the material rather than the spiritual world. 
just crude notions following the rudimentary elemental teachings of the universe and disregarding the teachings of Christ the Messiah. That is a scripture that every person, whether whatever version of the Bible you like, King James, NIV, Living Translation, Amplified, Message Bible, you should memorize that. Because basically what Paul is saying right there is, hey, be smart. Why? Who are we? We are what is called Christians. You still with me, right? But according to the media and according to pundits, we're zombies. We're weak-minded. We use God as a crutch. Uh, we're racist. We're closed-minded. Uh, Christians use the God answer to avoid even thinking. Ted Turner, the founder of, uh, of Turner Broadcasting, uh, the great media mogul, said that Christians are stupid and ignorant. But I've told you, you know what my goal for you is? It's to be intellectually grounded in Christ, uncompromising Christians. It's okay to be smart. It's okay to, to, to have a brain if you only had a brain. <laughs> so I have to do that every time I say that. But there's a huge difference between biblical Christianity, worldviews. And what is a worldview? It's a collection of convictions and opinions. And there's tons of worldviews out there. There's a big difference between biblical Christian worldviews and those of secular humanists or Marxist or cosmic humanists or postmodernism or Islamic worldviews. In fact, I'm reminded of watching, uh, as much as I disdained it, watching for a few moments the memorial service for Michael Jackson. And all of a sudden on the back screen, I saw something I had never seen and it showed my ignorance because this is pretty big on every college campus right now. And it's this right here. It's this term, coexist. When, and, it, and basically they had it on and that, they're, they're showing it in the background as they're playing his song uh, about uh, we are the world, we are the children. And this is big right now. You'll see this on bumper stickers. It's Islam, Buddhism, science, Judaism, paganism, Wiccan, uh, Christianity. But you know what I love? They saved the cross to the end because how many of you know at the end it's all about the cross? Are you getting that so far? I love that. That's on. You'll see that on T-shirts. And so when you see that coexist and their concept is this... All religions are from God and all ends up at the same point. That's called humanism. That's a depleting of the cross. Colossians 1 says he has reconciled everyone to him through the cross. Understand something. In fact, I took a quote from a, a, uh, a Jewish rabbi that is on the website for coexist. And he said, God has given us many faiths, but only one world to coexist. Understand something. God did not give us Buddhism. Understand, we do need science in our life. I believe that. God, uh, Judaism stopped at the point of the cross. Paganism is of the devil. Wiccan is of the devil. But the cross is the only way. Give God a praise. I mean, I'm just being honest. But see what you got to, and this is really huge at UAB campus right now. Everybody's got this on there. In fact, the Washington National Cathedral after 9-11 had an ecumenical service where they brought together people of all faiths. And we got to hear from a preacher and got to hear from a mom and a Buddhist monk. Let me explain something to you. You, you need to realize what I'm saying. The only faith that is going to make it is Christianity. And we're going to talk about more about other religions pretty soon. Over the next few weeks. But as a Christian, our worldview should be based on what Jesus did. What would Jesus 
do? What would Jesus say? How would C.S. Lewis, the, my favorite apologist. And again, apologetics means a defending of the faith. We must have this in our life. And so we're going a little deep right now. In fact, understand something. In fact, they've just given you a card that says at the top, defending of the faith. C.S. Lewis made this statement. If you cannot explain a simple truth, chances are that you do not understand it yourself. I think so many times we teach a kid John 3.16 and say, get out there and fight for it. And buddy, we have sent them out as sheep amongst wolves, unprepared, and they get their tail kicked. And that's why 82% to 86% walk away from their faith their first year of college. Because they're sitting there with a professor who has spent his whole life preparing for that right there. For the moment of the first five minutes in the classroom with them. So that he can push his humanistic agenda. I taught you this. And looking at that card, defending of the faith. Look at that. What does the Bible say in Matthew 23, verse 37? And he replied to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and intellect. It's probably the most powerful scripture in the New Testament and the Old Testament, which is the creed of the Jews, Deuteronomy 6, 5. What you have to understand, as Christians, we have five responsibilities. I taught you this last week, but I'm going to hit it again as believers. To wrestle honestly with every question. To internalize every answer, to release revelation in love, to approach all with knowledge, truth in God's word, to live out those answers before a watching world. Don't tell me how much you love me till you show me. What is philosophy? It's the love of wisdom or knowledge or study of the processes governing thought, conduct, and ultimate reality. I love philosophy, but I love Jesus back philosophy. So understand something. See, we've heard the word philosophy and we're like, oh, that's those weird people sitting in the corner, smoking a little hash, just talking about the existence. Why am I here? No, folks, don't be afraid. But see, there's three levels of philosophy. And I've taught you this last week. And this is the only way you're going to win an argument. Logic, reason, prescription, facts. Why? And how? If you're going to make a stand for Christ, you've got to be able to understand. Don't walk in with your with you with your scripture first. Walk in with a logical reason. I hit those last week that you must logically think things through. Then give your reason, and then ask ask or answer the question. How? Through God's word, through his love. Then you throw your scripture because I'm trying to teach you how to honestly walk. The level one right there states why one believes what he believes. It's the facts. Indicates why one lives, why he lives. Reveals why one legislates the way he does. We're going to teach probably in the next two weeks the authority test. When you come up against a false religion, how do you handle that? When you're talking to somebody of another faith that they that they believe in, that, that you've got to be able to understand what was their influence, number one. What was their foundation um, and, and how their foundation is wrong. And then you have to understand what does the Bible say? How does a Christian argue philosophy? Terms must be unambiguous. Clearly define what you believe. Don't just go, because he died on the cross. Well, that's awesome. You've got to take it deeper. Your reasoning and emotions, they've got to be sincere. You've got to uh, produce facts. The life illustration must come true and come out of you. Let me tell you how God saved me. Uh, the premise must be true. The argument has to be logical. Go past your emotions. Trust that God's spirit is communicating. But let me give you number two. Write this down. The missing link. Can I tell you what it is? And by the way, the title of this message is, is the... 
is the rise of the preachers in the barren land. I'm watching what's happening with Redeemed right now at our schools. I'm watching. I got uh, on Friday, got to pour into Matt Pitt and his staff and, and love on them and teach them uh, for about an hour. And these young preachers sitting around the room ready to go change the world. It is time when the average age of the preacher in America is 54 years old. Something's got to change. We got to raise up some preachers again. Somebody say amen. But see, what you got to understand is let me talk about that because that's what's burning in my heart. The, uh, the missing link. The voice of a preacher. By the way, if you don't get our weekly emails letting you know what's coming up, make sure you give that to them out at the information desk. We want you to receive that to know how to prepare. But I love what President Lincoln said this. He said, he said, to sin by silence when they should protest makes cowards of men. He, to sin by being silent when you should open your mouth, basically, makes cowards of men. I honestly believe the voice of reason is missing in this generation. Where are the ones who will stand up and shout repentance and freedom? Where are the voices that say sin is sin? Where are the voices that will dare cross over against popular culture and simply speak out truth? I believe that if we're not careful, our Christian colleges are even producing weak-minded, weak-kneed, no-backbone, philosophical preachers that are coming out and they're not even taught holiness anymore. And, and are you getting mad at me early? I've spoken probably 15 Christian universities. I love going there. But I'm, but I'm, I'm watching. Gone are the days of the call to see people that are enslaved set free. Instead, we want to go down to where they are in slavery and put chains on ourselves and just say we can make it together. Instead of actually walking up to them. The church, we've lost our voice because of, uh, our voice of reason because always trying to avoid science instead of standing up and saying science is awesome. But it all leads to God. That's what Tozer said. See, what you got to understand, we have a recipe for a gospel that has, has flavor in it. We have a recipe for, but, 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 but nowadays we just preach ideas and concepts. I've battled that war personally. How do you grow a big church today? I battled it. But I love what Isaiah said. In Isaiah 61 verse 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to, to talk, to share, to drink a cup of coffee preach to preach good news to the poor pastor you're just throwing your opinion around today yep it's called a bully pulpit what i get paid to do see what you got to understand is i was praying one morning and and it was in the height of seeing the explosion of youth ministry god changing things and it was years ago and i'm praying early on as a, as a youth pastor and all of a sudden god spoke to me and he said pat right now there's a 16 year old kid screaming for the anointing in their bedroom before school and if you ever mess with my anointing i'll strip it from you and give it to him well that'll sober you up just when you think you're something See, what you got to understand is Jonah talked about it. The word of the Lord, it, it, the Bible says, came to Jonah in Jonah 1. Go to the great city of Nineveh. By the way, Nineveh is the only city in the Bible that was ever completely one. Preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. God says, I'm sitting on my throne. And all of a sudden, I see the newspaper. It says, Nineveh doesn't know their right hand from their left. They don't know what, which hand to eat with and which hand to use when they go to the restroom. That's the Bible says. Preach. Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts 10, verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one. This is Peter preaching at the house of Cornelius, to, that he is the one who, whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify him about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
First Corinthians one. I love this. And this is a key verse. You need to, you need to memorize this verse. In the NIV, it says this. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? He's not God. Uh, he has, or excuse me, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. It's what we talked about last week when Paul went up on Mars Hill and began to declare liberty. But we preach Christ crucified. The end of all religions. Cross. That's what he said. But we've got to raise up the voices again. To speak with power and authority and strength. In some, in some places, preachers are now considered wimps or carpetbag salesmen or snake oil salesmen or con artists. Where's the John the Baptist that prepares the way? God's, but that's why we're doing Remnant starting the first Monday in October. You're going to get to hear from what we're going to begin to meet with people to say, you know what? I want to go plant a church. I want to rise up. I want to preach the gospel. Yes, I believe in the marketplace anointing, but we must raise up preachers again. Listen to what I'm saying. First Corinthians nine verse 16. Yeah, when this is Paul. Yeah, Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast for I'm compelled to preach. <laughs> it's that. You know, the best way to know you're called to preach is you wake up thinking about it and go to bed thinking about it. And everything that happens to you, you realize would be a great sermon illustration. And if you ignore it, you're going to be a mean board member. I'm just telling you. And so, so, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Wow! I sound like James Brown just then, didn't I? I feel good. I'm way too white to try to pull that off. But now, here's the problem. There's no place at the end. Here's the problem. The church is too quiet while the competing worldviews are winning. How many times have I heard it over and over? Church stinks or church sucks. I don't like church. Church has hurt me. You know what church did to my grandfather? I've heard it over and over and over and over, especially in religious Birmingham. So let me take out and look at case number one that we've created for you today. The church versus the anti-church establishment. I want to take you on what it's like to look at people that say, no longer do I have to go to church, and that's fine. People that say, you know what, we're just going to have a home group. This is huge right now. I have a good friend in Louisiana whose church split over this. But see, in fact, his son, the, the man that helped lead it, his son's an uh, NFL football player. But see, what you got to understand is, I still believe in the church. I still believe Jesus died for the church. First Corinthians 5, verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Aren't we supposed to get a mirror out before we start looking at everybody else, the Bible says? Remember when the church used to be a sanctuary, a place of comfort, a place of purpose, a place of freedom, not a gossip club, not a click. You know what a click is? It's the sound a gun makes with no bullet. <laughs> that was fun. See, the world sees the church as out of touch, incompetent, impotent. In other words, we have become irrelevant on our own mission field. We're just part of the scenery. The only time they want to see us is at Christmas and Easter. And if there's a family passing through town, we'll take care of them if they need groceries. The transients. When God is saying, you don't understand. Can I give you what I feel like the reason why the church helped this philosophy grow across America that we don't need the church anymore? The failure of the church? Can I tell you them very quickly? Because I'll tell you that we're still winning. But just follow me for a second. Number one, we treated the world as a disease we didn't want to catch. Bring your kids in here. We'll protect you from that bad, bad world. 
Number two, we fought amongst ourselves in the name of God. We had our own little holy wars. If we don't like it, we're just going to the street and start another one. Number three, we developed our little boundaries to determine who could be in our club. Number four, we quit eating with sinners. Number five, we shouted more than we loved and we condemned more than we redeemed. That's intense, isn't it? Number six, we didn't use our finances to build a kingdom. We used them to build empires. Number seven, we allowed immorality to cause the world to say, I knew it. I knew it. But see, we've got to change that worldview. We must fight to overcome this concept of who we are. Believe it or not, in the Bible belt, we've lost the trousers because our belt's so loose. But that's why I love the Summit Church. Because we'll park cars at a football game. Because we'll do an act of love every week. Don't forget your cards this week of loving somebody. That's what I love about the Summit Church. God says do it differently. And we have to continue to remind ourselves. Because we've got, we've got competing church views coming towards us. But for 2,000 years the church has spread the gospel. The first church met in an upper room. Out of that room came evangelists and pastors and teachers and servants and martyrs. The Greek word for church is ecclesia. It means call or ecclesia. It means called out ones. It means the ones that go out and do something about it. We believe in this. Look at Acts 20 verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves, the Bible says, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you. Be shepherds. It says, wolves are going to come in among you and you will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. He gave us the four Gospels. The four records of the one and only Gospel. What do you mean the first three were the synoptics? What does the word synoptics mean? They all three reflect the same material or common material. Therefore, they are called synoptic. It means they line up. The fourth gospel was written most likely after the first three. That was written by the, the, the last surviving disciple, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In fact, the apostle John wrote it as a witness of the other three. All four gospels were bound together. It's what started the church and they began to circulate first in a region and then throughout the world. That's how the gospel spread. The church began, the birthday of the church began the day Jesus ascended into heaven and the day of Pentecost came. It was the first guy, it was when they came together. And said, let's do this thing together. It began in an upper room. It's the room right above where David is buried. It was a gathering place. And suddenly Peter gets smart on the day of Pentecost. The guy that was always making mistakes, always sticking his foot in his mouth, always being dumb. The Bible says he stands up and starts preaching. And believe it or not, he preached apologetics. In fact, look what it says in Acts 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. He reminded them of the facts. He said, you saw it. You were at that wedding. You saw that those blind eyes open. You've heard the stories. It's been in your newspapers. The Jerusalem Post has reported the stories. He appealed to the knowledge of the hearers. The mere fact that he, has not, he, he was not immediately shouted down proved that. It doesn't say they immediately started trying to kill him. They all went, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, my Uncle Bubba, he got, yeah. We still got some bread in the freezer from the last homecoming. They knew he had been crucified and he had risen. He built the first church off of apologetics. The lame man was healed in Acts chapter 3. And they all knew the lame man because he sat in front of their synagogue, in front of the gate beautiful. They all knew it. Dude, his legs grew, his feet grew back. 
reminded of how, how uh, 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 Christianity was outlawed to, through 313 AD. It was an outlaw. You couldn't even do it. Nero was the first persecutor of the Christians. Within the first hundred years of Jesus dying on the cross, one million would be fed to the lions and to the stakes. Then a fellow named Augustine rises up. Perhaps probably the, the most famous early church leader and theologian. He had studied to be a lawyer at Carthage and went to Rome to be a teacher and settled in Milan. He was interested in Manichaean teaching or, uh, and studied Neoplatonic philosophy, which basically was existentialism, which is following after Plato. And, 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 and all of a sudden, one day he gets invited to a service by somebody. And all of a sudden, on his journey in 386... A.D., he went to hear a man named Ambrose speak, who would later become St. Ambrose, who probably would have hated being called that. Who was one of the, Ambrose was one of the four original doctors of the church, the early church. They sat and discussed philosophy. And he had a supernatural experience when he heard the voice of a child speak to him, take and read, and he opened a Bible and read Romans 13, verse 11. And this is what it says in Romans 13, verse 11. And this is what changed his life, sitting there in the home after listening to Ambrose speak. All of a sudden... A young philosopher by the name of Augustine read, read this and do this, understanding the present time, the hours come for you to wake up. He, he hung out with hedonistic people, talked about the very scripture said, stop it. This scripture right here. Because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently and in, as in the daytime, not in orgies. These are the people he hung out with. Drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in discussion and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And that is the moment he changed. And he would establish, he would write on the deity of Christ. He would establish heaven, describing heaven. He would write on the Trinity. He would put things into place. And then we see in the rise of the Catholic Church. I'm giving you a little church history here. Probably the hardest class I ever took in college. Church history one and two because it gets into the Maccabee. It gets into some crazy stuff. Believe it or not, there's a lot more than just coming to church. I'm trying to help you understand who the church is. In fact, we've seen the Catholic Church, the Church of England rise up, the popes, the saints. And then we had this rush of this little thing called Reformation take place. It was led by the likes of Calvin and led by the likes of probably the most well-known, a fellow by the name of Luther. And by the way, if you've never watched the movie Luther that came out about eight or nine years ago, you need to rent it. Incredible. I love it when you get mad and cuss at the devil. <laughs> just a thing with me. And then we've seen the rise of the Protestant church. We've seen Luther march up the steps of, of a college called Wittenberg College and he nailed 95 theses to, to the door saying why the Catholic church was out of line. The four, top four things was that, they, that it wasn't about a hierarchy system anymore. That only the priests and bishops and popes could, could read the word of God. That it was for all men. Christ made way for everyone. He, he would write he, the, the, the fact that the church was not the final say on matters of truth because they were dictating like they were from a throne when instead it, truth has to become something that God reveals to you. Holy Spirit guides you. He would nail into that thesis uh, the four top things. The other thing, the reformers, the so-called spiritually life uh, of the Roman church, uh, Roman clergy, saying they were immoral, greedy, and unbelieving. He, he told him, he said, y'all got to change. He said, you're, you're making people give money for their sins. And then he began to even write about rejecting certain practices of the Catholic church. He would write about the fact that, hey, it's okay for a clergy to get married because Paul said it's better to do that than, than burn. And amen. I'm so glad he did that. Just saying. 
He would write about how you don't have to pray to the saints or to Mary. He would write about the fact that indulgences, the confessional, the doctrine of purgatory, the practice of the Eucharist, transubstantiation, that when you take communion, you became God Himself instead of simply following in the likeness of Him. Are you still with me? So what is the church? Is the church still alive? Absolutely. What are some of the apologetics? Let me give them to you really quick. You've got it written down right there. If you were to stand with somebody who says to you, I don't believe in church anymore, I would tell them logically the church has advanced for 2,000 years. I would tell them we're not going anywhere through persecution, denial by the world, through dictators, through, 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 through culture. It's continued to rise. The church has to stay tied to Christ and not man's agenda. And the church was established to help the hurting and provide a refuge. That's what I would tell them logically. If I were to sit with someone and they say, we don't need church anymore, and then I'd give them some reason right there. I would tell them. In fact, sociologists call it the Protestant work. What is the Protestant work? It was started by Calvinists. Uh, and, and basically that is that, that guys, when people look at you and say, I don't need to go to your stupid church, I would say, sociologists will tell you that if churches were removed from the community, the community is going to die. That we raise the water level. That we raise life source. Are you still with me so far? That we're, we're life givers. That we change places when we walk in. At least if we don't, we shouldn't exist. We should shut the doors. What's my reason? My testimony. My church keeps me alive. I'm part of a family. If I miss that next week, it's going to be a tough week. Oh, you're just trying to get us to come on Sunday. Really? (laughs) It's what I do. Sorry. (laughs) I wonder if your employees show up. Yes, I do. I want to pack this place out because I believe in what we teach. Absolutely. But my reason is... The church throughout the history of Pat's life is a place where I found refuge. A place where I could crawl to an altar and change. It's my reason. It's where I'm discipled, transformed. What's my prescription? As long as the church remains, the ecclesia, the called out ones, it will survive. The church is used to give you a common nucleus to study God and grow in relationship. What's the, what's the second argument? Man, I keep running out of time. What's the second case we want to hit? Something called humanism. There's a song that was written by a psycho by the name of John Lennon. Everybody kind of celebrates him as some martyr. But the song that he did called Imagine was tied directly to humanism. And we love to sing it. We hear it in the restaurants at Chili's and we sing it. But what you have to understand is this was a direct Humanism. downloads that has taken place in the month of August for this, I will tell you this. 2% of over 6,000 downloads in the month of August was Germany, 2% Japan, 3% Australia, 4% Canada, 4% Spain, United Kingdom, 5%, and probably because they sang this on American Idol, 
France, 6%, Italy, 7%, Netherlands, 8%, United States of America, 29% of the 6,000 downloads was the U.S. What is secular humanism? It is a humanistic philosophy that holds, upholds reason, ethics, and justice. Basically, it says it's about us. Basically, their whole concept is naturalism. It's a metaphysical position that, that nature is all there is and all the basic truths are truths of nature and all things and powers commonly regarded as supernatural. For example, God or souls or witchcraft are asserted to be non-existent. There is no such thing as the supernatural. That's basically with secular humanism. Everything I accomplish, I accomplish by way of path. Can we go deep for a second? You ready? In other words, it's a philosophy that makes no room for the thinking man to entertain the concept of a supernatural God. Secular humanists search for ways to disarm and bring down all things God. Secular humanists man-centeredness. It's all about the idea that the whole universe is revolved around us. It's the same thing as when they used to believe the earth was flat. We're the only ones. That, 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 that understand the world. The world can't be round. It's all about us. That is what secular humanism... Basically, if you, believe, don't, if you believe in this thing, then you are an idiot. In fact, they do not believe that children should be taught any type of religion, but except the religion of self. They would hate our children's church. They hate the Bible. Why? Because it calls into question everything they believe. Most declare man's knowledge is the single source of power. Most believe that science is the true religion. They believe there is no absolutes. Truth is, is, is relevant only to culture. They even teach it's immoral to wait for God to act on our behalf. That's why we love what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Test all things. See, what you've got to understand, secular humanism today is even disguised. Really? It even incorporates Jesus. Rather than fight you bunch of Christians, we'll incorporate you. You're just one of the ways. In fact, it focuses on more on humanitarian efforts than on salvation. Man can save himself. The concept of humanist is why uh, they fight them. There's an emptiness in humanism, so we just go out and we go, well, let's, let's, let's global warming. Instead of fighting us, they said, we'll join them, we'll infiltrate them, and we'll change them, and it has happened. Just watch Oprah. Just watch Tony Robbins, Dr. Phil, and some preachers. It's basically what's going on. Even watch Disney. Because it's not about religion, it's about being spiritual. In fact, it's called Disney Tunism. Disney will not incorporate Christ, but they'll incorporate the mystical, the supernatural. Basically, the concept is you control your destiny, you decide your future, but finally you need no outside help. That is where it all goes wrong. I don't need any help. Because I believe that, man, you're a champion, you're great, you're going to change the world. I believe in all that. But really, <laughs> really, really seriously, I can't find my socks without God. See, what you've got to understand, there's a difference between Christianity and humanism. And you better understand what it is. Romans 1 verse 18 says there will be shrouds over the truth. There's shrouds today. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that there is a, a, a time coming that people will not adhere to sound doctrine. Right or wrong is determined by their own desires. I determine what is right or wrong. Let me give you the difference between Christianity and, 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 and humanism. You ready? We believe in theism. God. They believe in atheism. Philosophy. Faith and reason. Naturalism. Everything is found around you. That's where your faith is. That's philosophy. Let's worship a tree. Or if you want to find God, look in the mirror. 
believe it or not, this is actually being taught by some preachers. Ethics. We have moral absolutes. They don't believe in that. They have moral relativism. It all changes with your culture. You desire what truth is. You change what truth is. Sociology. We believe in traditional, traditional family and church and state. Humanism. Forget that. There's no, there's no goal of having a, a mom and her dad or anything like that or a traditional family. Politics. Justice, freedom, and order. We believe in that. Humanism, liberalism, secular world government. The world, the government should tell us what to do. Anybody waking up? Economics. We believe in stewardship. They believe in interventionalism, which basically means let somebody help me. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to get up and go to work. I don't have to do anything. It doesn't matter. Now, we believe that at times you need help, but we also believe you also have to get up and maybe go to work. They believe in socialism. History. We believe that creation, fall, redemption, truth. We believe that that's how history is defined. Humanism, historical evolution, everything changes. I'll remove it from the history books if it goes against and could hurt someone. You still with me? Law. What does Christians believe? We believe in divine and natural law. We believe in both. Humanism, positive law, human law. I determine what law is. I'll change the Constitution this week if I feel like it. Because those fellows didn't know what we were facing this week. Biology. We believe in creationism. They believe in the Dar- Darwinian evolution, which, by the way, we proved last week when we talked about for 150 years. It's amazing how we haven't gotten better looking. Okay? What is the apologetics? Let me teach you. Logic. What do you mean, Pastor? Let me go through this very quickly, and I'm about done today. Textbooks, which are written and promoted by secular humanists, by the way. These textbooks are considered authoritative enough to instruct high school and college students. Nonetheless, the publisher of these textbooks generally publish a new edition every two or three years. Follow me for a second. They change. And the reason is that errors consistently come up in everything they believe. They look at old textbooks and say, that's out. Everything's changed. They have no absolutes. We can look at them. We can look at them about a history and we can say archaeologically we are proven the existence and foundation of the Bible. Socially, when humans are left with no divine intervention, they destroy themselves. Moral law, it is proven that no other legal system can stand beside moral, biblical law. Folks, if we took every Bible-believing, Bible-preaching truth and threw them in the ocean today and took every church that stood up and threw it in the ocean, this nation would turn into anarchy within an hour. I believe that. Remove the Holy Spirit and see what happens. Truth. Does not have a definition without divine intervention. You cannot determine what truth is simply by your opinion. Truth is determined by His Word and His Word alone. Are you with me? What's my reason for that? Without the supernatural intervention of God, breath is impossible. A culture that removes God is eventually destroyed. Every deism that has ever arisen has fallen, except for they've all died. Krishna, Buddha, Muhammad, they've all died, except for Jesus. It's proven. What's my prescription? How do I do with this? How do I look at somebody? I can simply look at them and say, without Jesus, I'm lost. I'm a son of a drug dealer. My family was full of murderers and adulterers and beaters and drug addicts and addictions. But Jesus walked into my house 
when I was five years old and interrupted my father in a bathroom as he dumped his dope down a commode and changed my father from being a mobster to being a man who's chasing after Jesus, preaching right now in New Zealand, where last week they had 25 people saved in a culture that does not believe in God. You have to understand, I can tell you he can set you free. And let me close with this. Will you stand up and speak? Will you rise up and make a stand? I met with 300 students in Singapore from Islamic nations and Buddhist nations that all met with me privately in a back room and said, we will die for the cause of Christ and we just want you to know that. That we had to lie to come here. We had to lie on our government paperwork to even come to this conference to hear you. And they said, but you're our hero. And I said, no, you're my hero. That this year, this year, half a million people will die for the cause of Christ. Right now, in Saudi Arabia, somebody is being murdered because they were found in the Bible. 17 people an hour die for the cause of Christ. And I'm reminded of Daniel. When all of a sudden, a mix working for the government, four young men who had been taken captive and living in Babylonia would walk in, four of the wisest, smartest, best-looking fellas, best athletes, they get taken in and they're forced to serve in the royal army or the royal kingdom of a demonic king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm reminded in Daniel chapter 3, bring that up for me. Three young men make up their mind, we will not bow down. We'll talk about Daniel later. And suddenly, this government-minded, ridden, demonic king gets word that they will not bow down to his false idols. And they get angry at him. And somebody starts telling on him. Somebody starts complaining about their private emails. And all of a sudden, they go and they stand before the king. And I'm not going to take time to read it. Come on, Pastor Eric. But instead, next thing you know, they're standing in front of a flaming furnace that gets turned up ten times hotter. In fact, the very soldier that would throw them in would he himself die from the heat. And the Bible says, I love their favorite, my favorite part of it is, verse 17 of Daniel chapter 3, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, (laughs) oh my goodness, stand up, stand up. But even if he doesn't, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't we want you to know O king we're still not going to serve your gods we're still not going to worship the image of gold you've set up and it's infuriated the government he took three boys who had lost everything including their church their home and their family and even had their names changed he cast them into a fire for making a stand on their campus And as he sat to wait on the report of their instantaneous death, he noticed their blue jeans. Came to check them out, and even their blue jeans and tennis shoes weren't singed. In fact, there was a fourth man in that fire. (laughs) Somebody ought to shout. I ought to hit you in the mouth and make you shout. King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? Verse 25, he said, look, I see four men walking around and drinking a cup of coffee. 
<laughs> Talking about the ball games. And the fourth one, some evil king says, looks like the son of God. That's fire. Isaiah 43, verse 12, he said, when you go through the flood, I won't let you drown. Go through the fire, I won't let you burn. But I love what goes on to happen. Verse 29, Daniel. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be cut into pieces. He was an angry king. And their houses turned into piles of rubble. But no other God can save in this way. And then the king promoted them. Somebody's going to get a promotion in this room. Because you didn't even know it. But you were making a stand. You didn't even realize it. I'm reminded of a story of John Ardley. He was martyred by a man by the name of Bishop of London. His name is Bishop Bonner. Burned Christians alive. When Bonner asked Ardley about how he felt about being burned alive as he was about to be burned, he said this, If I had as many lies as I have the hair on, the, on my head, I would lose them all before I would lose my Jesus. I, I'm done. Except to say to you, sit back down. Except to say to you, Let me get the fellows to come with the elements. Except to say to you, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. While I believe in praying for our government and praying for our leaders, I also believe that it is time for some town hall meetings. I believe it's time to rise up as a church and state what we believe again. And simply say, I'm sorry, I'm not a bigot, I'm not a racist. But that is wrong. It's time for the teachers to be plotted as heroes. Where we'll pay $30 million to a quarterback and we pay them $30,000. The ones that are making a stand on the campuses. Like a Jamie Curley. Like a Coach Partridge. The men that I love hanging out with. It's time for the church to eat with sinners again. It's time for us to actually believe what we say we believe. It's time for somebody. So I'm going to ask you to do something. If you knew right now that you could lose your life for the cause of Christ. And volunteerism said this. Here's real volunteerism, by the way. Here's real social change. If you say, Pastor, I want to be a voice in in the land. I want to rise up. I want to be used by God. No matter what it costs me. Don't do it. Unless you're ready. But if you want to be a voice. One at a time. Stand up. All right. Walk to the front. Because there's a fourth man walking with you.
today we break bread together as a body. Shut your eyes across this room. How many of you can say, Pastor, I've not made the stand that I need to make, and I want to make it today. I want to be that person that will stand up. But first, I got to go back to your original rules. We actually got to live it. How many of you say, I need to change my life today? I need to get some things out of my life. Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. Man, I was praying this morning, and the Lord said, I'm going to start somebody over today, Pat. Somebody in here that's going to be a preach. Or somebody that's going to rise up in your office. Somebody's getting their preach back on. Just like when he first called you. Will you be like the three, really four boys? We'll talk about the fourth one later. How God can turn a lion into a vegetarian. Softest pillow he ever had. This is your moment. Shut your eyes with me, would you? Would you pray this with me? Jesus, forgive me. You know what? I'm sorry. Look at me. I can't lead you in this. You got to do this. Martin Luther kind of said, hey. <laughs> Tell them they can go to the king. They can be the priest. So you shut your eyes and you ask God to cleanse you. The Bible says over in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 11. P. Sean, help me with that. Keep your eyes shut across the house if you would. Verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord, I also passed to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this bread in your hand now, and look at it differently than you've ever looked at it. Say, Lord, I'll be broken for you, because you were broken for me. My friend, Rick, would you, would you pray over the bread? Father, we would never be able to understand what it means to know that you loved us so much you put on a human suit. And so right now we simply say thank you that not only did you love us, but you walked among us. And deity became flesh without compromising deity. So, Lord God, we just say thank you. And we give you praise that your body was offered in a substitution for ours. I thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Take and join. Hang out with the fourth man. Go ahead, Pastor. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it 
in remembrance of me. The blood of Jesus, which Colossians 1 says, is the only way to heaven. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for... Clint, pray quickly, would you, over the blood. Thank you for listening. We pray that this word would sit in your spirit and transform you. For more information or to become a covenant partner with Mercy Seek Ministries and Evangelist Pat Karen Chatsline, you can log on to www.mercyseatministries.com.